Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show. Sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts. Brent and Chase Wilsey. Well, hello and welcome to Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey, president of Wilsey Asset Management, and with me is Chase. Chase, uh, quite the week this past week in the markets, up, down, and uh, wow. Oh yeah, and then and we were talking about how September was going to be a hard month, and uh, sure enough, here it is, tough month with uh, all the volatility. But again, that volatility is for short-term traders, long-term investors. We're just sitting back in our chair, watching everybody else panic, freak out doesn't matter to us. It's about the companies that you own, not about the, I always tell people, it's the quality of the trade, not the number of trades. And people are like, oh, I got to get out. I got to do this. I gotta. Like, no, just if you did your homework first, you'd be fine now. But if you did silly things and you're, oh, I, I don't know why I did that. Oh, I'm going to sell this and do that. And that's all the volatility in the market. And that's what people are doing. Like we're sitting back with our great companies like, yeah, yeah, this is fine. And I tell you what, life has so many other toss and turns that I don't need that in my life, so I'm good <laughs> just being a long-term investor, not worrying about it. You have so many other things in life to worry about. Don't worry about the day-to-day -day fluctuation of the stock market. We always tell people that's what's going to drive you crazy. Yeah, and, and I've been doing this now for over 40 years, and I still love doing it because I don't do crazy things. We, I love doing the research, like looking at the companies, holding the companies, and we're not right all the time. I'm not right all the time. I mean, I always tell people, eh, I might be wrong a third of the time, but you still do very well buying good quality businesses long-term. Well, let's actually go back and talk about some things here. Uh, let's talk about Apple, uh, talk about growth companies. Uh, there are a few fund managers that uh, I follow and respect their opinions, but uh, one of them is Dan Niles. Now, uh, he is a Stanford University graduate in electrical engineering. He has focused on tech stocks for over 30 years, and I always enjoy his commentaries and analysis. I have continued, we have continued to warn and I still believe Apple stock is just too pricey. And Dan, he, he does run a hedge fund. So unlike our portfolio, he can short stocks and take a bet on the downside. In a recent Barron's article, Dan stated he owns Apple stock, but uh, after the iPhone 14 launch on September 7th of uh, just a couple days ago, yep. he not only planned to sell the stock, but he was looking at shorting it as well. And, and I tell you what, that, that's quite the commitment. If you hold the Apple in your portfolio, you definitely need to reconsider that position. And I'm going to talk about this new iPhone 14. And people are like, oh, well, you know, it, it's so exciting. I don't see the difference. I was looking at it and it, it's not that exciting to me. I, I, and I've not searched for it, but I've not seen any hype on it. Um, I mean, have you heard what's so great about the iPhone 14? What's New camera. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's so funny. Um, Steve Jobs, yeah, his daughter posted this thing, and it was a uh, older gentleman, and he's wearing like this khaki shirt, right? And he's opening a new khaki shirt, the exactly same, and he's all excited about it. And she put, "This is how people feel about the iPhone 14." She did that. Yeah. Oh wow. So quite the little dig she threw out there. Yeah, yeah, and she's just probably being realistic about about it, and and like like I love. Tony Bahama shirts. Yeah. I think about five now, maybe six. But it's just like, okay, eventually you get like, okay, then they're, they're all kind of the same. Yeah. And I think we're at that point with the iPhone 14. It's just like, oh, better camera. And, and I would venture to say 
Uh, I'm not going to pick on you because you have the iPhone 8. I bet it'd be a difference. But I have, I think, the iPhone oh, yeah. 13 or something. I don't even know what one I got. But if I took a picture and somebody with a new iPhone took a picture and you didn't know which was which, I doubt very seriously you could tell the difference. There, there's supposed to be some like new light function. So if you take pictures at night, it might be better. But I mean, I don't take many pictures. So I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's... We'll see what happens. Yeah. Well, we'll see if there is the big surge in demand that, that some people are anticipating with this iPhone cycle, but I, I just, I don't see it. What does it cost a new phone? Do you know? Uh, I, there's just different price it's points. Like they, they didn't, they uh, it's around a thousand. I, I know yeah. there, there's a couple of different price points. I think the most expensive one is like 1400, I believe. Right. Well, and I'm just thinking like, say on average, I don't know, you take uh, in a year's time frame, I don't know, 200 uh, photos at night. What's the cost of uh, that per photo <laughs> divided a thousand to get that new one that can take photos better at night? I, you know, I just don't get. Well, it. And, and the thing again that I look at is this has to be a good cycle for Apple, because yeah. if not, again, they're trading around. I think it's twenty-five times earnings still. If they don't have that growth, because right now, remember the last quarter they didn't grow earnings. Right. If they have another year of no earnings growth, that's going to be detrimental for the stock. Yeah. Yeah. Because. And, and, We'll see. I mean, we'll we'll see that holiday season. That's going to be very telling of number one where the consumers at, and, and number two how people feel about the iPhone 14. Yeah, and and also too, smartphones in general. I mean, shipments of uh, smartphones around the world in the second quarter. Well, they experienced a decline of nine percent to 286 million units. Yeah, and again, if this continues in the third quarter, it really could put that downward pressure on the stock. And I, I think. The third quarter, people might still give a little bit forgiveness, but if it's the holiday quarter and it does poorly, that's when I think the stock could have some serious, serious issues because it's not doing well. And somebody commented on our post saying, oh, well, you know, the shipments were down because everybody was waiting to get the iPhone 14. Well, we'll see what happens. Yeah, we are in a slowing economy. I mean, and, and I'm just thinking that, okay, you know, do I really need that phone right now? No, I think I'll do something else with that money. I mean, because again, thousand dollars, whatever it's going to be, you think about it, and you got maybe you got you know the I don't know, the ten, the twelve, I don't know what what the numbers. Yeah. Are. You, you get kind of confused on it, but it's not really that big of a deal. It's not like now if they had like oh the battery will last a week. Ooh, okay, now you got something I'd, I'd be excited about, but because you can take better pictures at night, and that's pretty much it. I'm sure there's other little little features. Little features but is it worth spending $1,000 when, eh, you know what, I'd rather save that money for something else and maybe go on vacation, go on a trip. There is an extended battery life, but I don't know. I still have the eight, and right. sometimes I do have issues with my battery. <laughs> 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 but I just plug it in. You know <laughs> You know who you have that in common with? Hmm. Barney on, on Fox Business. He has the eight as well. So. Hey. The smart guys on the money. <laughs> they have the eight. <laughs> well, let's actually talk about the retail inflation. Uh, good news on the inflation front. Uh, retailers like Walmart, Nordstrom's, and Macy's are saying their inventories are building and they need to clean out their inventory to make room for holiday items. Wow. I can't believe about holidays already. Uh, what that means is they'll be cutting prices dramatically, which will help ease inflation in certain areas overall. And we are no longer hearing about supply chain issues, which means there's plenty of product and demand to ease, so prices should decline. And, and I say we're no longer hearing about that. There's still some kinks, but it's mm-hmm. nowhere near the, the problems that we saw before. And the thing that we look at is this change in the retail dynamic. It's going to take a couple of months to pass through to the numbers, but they should start seeing some good numbers just in time for the holiday season. 
which will hopefully make consumers feel more positive and deliver a good holiday shopping season. The one wild card that still remains is, again, oil and gas. And right now, it's pulled back. But I still think we'll we'll see what happens here over the coming months. Yeah, and I think oil did pull back. I think I hit eighty dollars a barrel. I think it closed yesterday eighty six twenty three or something. So it has bounced back a little bit, um, but the demand has slowed, which brought the prices down. But then we have the Middle East talking about we're going to cut back on our production. Uh, I know there has been talk, and I hope this doesn't happen that uh, President Biden wants to extend the strategic oil reserves release of a million barrels a day. Gosh, I. Our, those reserves are getting pretty low, and I, I, I hope he does not do that because again, it's just going to extend that band-aid on a big problem. You're not fixing the problem; um, it's not doing anything with the supply. Well, we've talked about before. Nobody, again, like a COVID situation. Nobody right. knows when that's going to happen. Surprise in the Middle East could happen. What's going to happen then? I mean, I believe the number was uh, Fox Business re- re- talked about this yesterday uh, with Biden's plan our strategic reserve is 23% lower than where we stood beforehand. Which, again, the whole idea of the strategic reserve is if we had a huge issue where we can't get oil. Let's say there's a major hurricane, major national disaster. What are we going to do then? You don't remember it because you weren't born. I remember it because I was, I believe it was around high school, but the oil embargo. In the 70s. Yeah, and they actually cut off the oil. We're it's we would be it would be like Europe is with Russia, Russia right now, yeah. and and that would be that'd be devastating to us, and especially now like oh what are we gonna do because those reserves are supposed to be used for military action mostly, um, what would we do? And, and and I mean you see it in Europe right now natural gas here in the United States gosh I believe it's around eight nine it's nine, nine yeah. per um, uh, million British thermal units BTUs is, yeah BTUs yeah. how they quote it in Europe it's thirty yeah. I, I mean, that's what can happen because they were so heavily reliant on Russia for natural right. gas. It's we, a dangerous spot to be in. Yeah, and we talk about this because energy is important. As we said, the last line was, it's the wild card because if that changes, that can change the whole scenario because we got this nice scenario set up, but if the energy situation gets dramatically worse, everything we talk about inflation coming down and doing better is out the window because that raises it dramatically. And I think uh, uh, we did a post uh, on Germany. I think their inflation rate was, what, 30% or something? Their PPI was 37%. 37%. And that would happen here if Middle East said, you know what, United States, we're going to do another oil embargo. We're not going to give you any oil. And maybe we'll cut it down 50%. What are we going to do? Yeah. You know, so yeah. we, we put ourselves in that situation. Let's move on and talk about shipping costs because this is, uh, you know, one of the big culprits that helped cause inflation was a huge increase in shipping costs. Remember all the disruptions and port, lo- you know, backlogs we had. Oh, my gosh, they were terrible. Uh, last September, it cost around $20,000 to ship a 40-foot container from China to the U.S., the cost now has been cut by nearly three-fourths with the cost for the shipping. The same 40-foot container from China to the U.S. dropping to $5,400. Yeah, and, and that's still eh, pretty well above where we were pre-COVID. Yeah. But the big thing that we look at is, again, these companies are no longer paying $20,000. <laughs> yeah. a crazy situation. And also the other thing we look at, too, is projected new ships coming into service for the next two years will increase growth and capacity by 9% and analyzed right there in 2023 and 2024. This will be another factor that will help keep shipping costs under control. And in the end, retailers will be paying less in shipping costs so they can reduce their prices, which will help ease inflation there. 
Yeah, and, and we, we do have to remember, I, th- I think there was, and maybe you can correct me on this, but I think at the peak in the port of Los Angeles, uh, they had, I believe, 70 ships out there waiting. Uh, last time I heard it was like eight. Yeah. So that has improved. So we do have improvements. And these are things we're talking about, that there's some great things to look at. There's things that we're saying, yes, these are positive. We see good things going forward. But in the back of our mind, we still remember that if something crazy happens with the energy market on the U.S., everything we're talking about is going to change. Yeah. And, and the, the other thing is, and, and I'm going off the cusp here in terms of trying to remember the exact sure. numbers. I don't have them in front of me. But I believe the numbers were from China to the U.S., from the delivery to being in the port. Before COVID, it was about 63 days, I think, is that mm-hmm. time frame it took. Well, during the peak toughness, I'll call it, it was about 100 days. Huge increase. Yep. That really made things hard for retailers. It's now back to, I believe, around 67 days. So we're, we're almost back to those pre-pandemic levels of, I'm going to call a normalized environment. Things aren't the way they were. And as you said, this really should be a huge help to inflation. And there's some issues on the inflation front, but then you're starting to see a lot of other things that can really help ease that burden. And it's not going to happen tomorrow. No. But no. I think come back part of 2023, we're not going to be talking about 9% inflation anymore. Right, right. And, and actually today we're, we're dressed up because today is our client event that we do, our investment symposium for clients, and, and we'll give them more details on what's going on. But we have some very good positive things. And we do share a lot uh, w- with other people also because we, we do want everybody to be a smart investor and not make silly mistakes. Uh, you, you were bringing before the show uh, went on about some great things about growth versus value. And it's amazing some of those numbers that you were talking about there. But, um, oh, and by the way, phone numbers here, because uh, we're going to open the lines, uh, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. As always, get you through with that unbiased, no strings attached, formal opinion about what you want to talk about. But, um, yeah, I mean, th- these are things that... Uh, are so important to kind of look at and understand what's going on. Don't just look at the stock price. I think, oh, well, I'm watching the stock price. You are missing so much. There's so many things out there you need to look at besides the stock price. The stock price is almost irrelevant to some degree. Yeah, and I, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm going to give a couple of those numbers real quick that, that I was looking at. And, and this is why we do the value investing, is when growth is hot, it's hot. People are like, gosh, you're a, you know, a, a stick in the mud and you're not exciting, you're boring. But the thing is, when things turn, growth is it's disastrous and and what i mean by that is if you look at 2000 from the year 2000 and 2005 value investing was up 29 percent during that time period Mm -hmm. oh that's not that good that's right that's a pretty lackluster return well yeah but value uh, growth investing was down 45 percent over that (laughs) five-year period I'll take those numbers any day. Yeah. And that's the thing is you have to have realistic ex- expectations when you invest. Because you look back over the last 10, 12 years, growth stocks have done absolutely fantastic. But now these people that invest, oh, I can do 15% a year. That's not the reality right. of investing, unfortunately. Right. And, and as I've said with uh, Apple, Tesla, uh, Amazon, you know, great businesses, but one or two things are going to happen. Either going to drop dramatically, or I'd say ten years from now, their price will be somewhere about where it is right now. They got the 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 stock price has to catch up with the earnings, or no, wait, the earnings have to catch up with the stock price. Is the right way to say that? Yeah, and I, I saw this other great chart here, and I, I xed out of it. We're going to 
find it and, and pull it back out because it, it's just phenomenal. You go back to 1927, right? how far values outperform growth. And people always ask, oh, I'm worried about the Great Depression that again happening. Oh, I'm worried about this difficult situation. It shows why value investing is such a, in my opinion, better way to invest. Right. You don't have the huge ups, but you also don't have the huge downs yeah. that you have in, in the growth stocks that can deplete you and ruin your investment plan. And when I first started looking at value investing, I remember looking at 1929. Um, oh, it was terrible. The market was down like 80%. There was one company, I believe it was General Mills, that actually held on and actually I think had a small profit. Yeah. I'm saying, wait a minute, that's the way to invest because I don't read the guy, because once you're down that 40, 50%, it takes you 50%, takes you 100% return yeah. to get back to where you started from. But if you did that value investing and you did the, I don't know, I think you said 27%, whatever, yeah, you, you're making maybe four or 5% per year. Eh, that's okay, yeah. you know, because then when things do come back and, and you got companies that go up, you know, 20, 30, 40%, and then year six, maybe you make 20%, like, wow, it's on top of a positive, versus you're still not back to break even. So these are all numbers that we look at. These are things you'll find in the newsletter. Uh, the ones we just talked about, they're in there as well. So if you want more detail on those, you can get that newsletter. Sign up for it, it comes out every Friday. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. It's right in the middle of the page on the top where it says newsletter, click on that, and you can sign up right there. And uh, I think you'll enjoy it. We, I, I think we got like, oh, what, 3,000 people, I think, subscribe to that. And it's just, um, people like it. They say it's really very informative, quick to read, but yet I get a lot of information out in a very quick time frame. All right, uh, phone number is 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833-288-0973. Let's go up to Alpine and speak with Jim. Jim, you're on the Smart Invest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Good morning, guys. Uh, always uh, great to listen to you on Saturday morning. And uh, one of the things you guys are kind of unique about is uh, you don't go, be afraid, be afraid, be afraid, come visit me, I can fix you, I can save you, be afraid, but I can save you. You know, you, you, you show the optimistic side, the container, you know, the shipping things, and uh, you know, just, you're optimistic, and I like that, I like that a lot. Yeah, we, we try to find things that are positive to, to make you invest, because our opinion, you should never be 100% in cash. Uh, there's always going to be buys out there, but you're right. You got to find out reasons to buy things. So Jim, thank you for that uh, compliment. We, we appreciate that. Yeah. And, and on the shipping thing, I was looking into the whole thing and the 20 foot equivalent units there, you know, I mean, Los Angeles and Long Beach Harbor each do a thousand containers an hour. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. just, it's just, I mean, if you do the math, it, it's a little more during the day than it is during the night, but it works out to a thousand an hour. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of, lot of commerce there. Yeah. And, and again, if you multiply the, what was it, uh, the 15,000, we'll call it, make it easy, 15,000 times 1,000 containers per hour, that really start, adds up to how much money they're saving on those containers. So, anyway, uh, so. Yes, yeah. sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> so, what I'd, what I'd like on Main Street Capital, it's, it's, got, it's got an interesting dividend payout ratio, and I'd like a little discussion about REITs and dividend payout ratios along with that, if you don't mind. Sure, sure. Well, let's take a look at uh, Main Street uh, Capital. Symbol is M-A-I-N for Main. Um, I see them in the industry of asset management, and for some reason, usually the asset management companies do pay a higher yielding. 
uh, yield on the, the dividends, but uh, that's just kind of normal. Uh, the short on the float, not very much, 3.7, but only 20% institutional own, which kind of worries me a little bit because that means you've got the individual investors going to be very fickle at times and maybe cause more volatility uh, in the stock price. Now, we do see a good P.E. ratio, 11.1 versus 19.8. Price of sales, 8.1 versus 4. That's expensive. Uh, price to book value, 1.6. That's good because the energy is at 15. Uh, and then we see no price of cash flow, which is strange, versus 17.6 for the industry. They do have a good peg ratio, which says you're not paying much for the uh, future earnings of the company at uh, 1.7 versus 6.7. So I like seeing that. Now, over the last year, their earnings did fall by 21%. The industry was only down 15%, so company appeared to have more trouble on the earnings, earnings uh, development there. Uh, sales also were down uh, 3% for Main Street Capital, but the industry was up 4.5, so that's not a good thing. Five-year growth estimate uh, from the analyst, 8% for Main Street versus uh, 6.8 for the industry. Now, they do pay a dividend, 6.5%, which is pretty good. The industry is at 3.8, and the company only uses 70% of the earnings have paid it out. I say only 70%. Uh, I'm okay with that. You get much above that though, 75, 80, 85%, you start wondering, wait a minute, what are they having here for operations of the company? But 70%, I'm, I'm okay with that. Uh, we do see on the balance sheet, uh, debt to equity is one versus 1 1.2. Current ratio, very low, 0.3 versus 2.6. I would really wanna look closer at the balance sheet to find out why is that? Now, again, I think you mentioned this is a REIT. Uh, this is something else here. Uh, this is where you got to go to the financial statements. I might do that while Chase is kind of looking at some other numbers there. Uh, we do see a net profit margin, very strange number here, 71.9 versus 21.7. Um, return to capital, uh, return to equity, I'm sorry, 13.9, better than the industry at 11, but we like it to be about 15%. So I'm kind of mixed on this. I don't know what you're going to come up with, Chase. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting business here. They are an investment firm. It says they're engaged in providing customized debt and equity financing to lower middle market companies and debt capital to, to middle market companies. And, and one thing that I find interesting is this company's about a $3 billion market cap, mm -hmm. 80 employees. Ooh. Lean and mean, for yeah. sure. That, Maybe that. we should go public. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, we got eight, not 80. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, looking at the current price here for Main Street Capital is $40.70. 52-week high, $47.13, and the low, $34.35. And one thing I was thinking about, too, is this company, when they they have that payout ratio, one thing that right. concerns me is, does that mean they're not having enough capital in other places? So even though they have 70% is a, what I'll call a reasonable payout, does that mean they don't have other like investment opportunities as an investment firm? Sometimes I would like to see them maybe hold off on that payout ratio and grow the investment side of things because it's a, a two-part equation essentially right right but looking at the the company going forward i go to december 2023 i see the estimated earnings per share it's three dollars and 17 cents what gives a target sell price of 52 dollars and 62 cents so i mean there's some potential here it, it's a very different type of business that you got to understand how they function what exactly who exactly are they providing that capital to well, and I, I did, as I said I would, go to the balance sheet, and I'm seeing something I've never seen before. There is about eight items on the balance sheet. That's it. Shows assets, uh, $3.8 billion, then liabilities, $1.9 billion, then shareholder equity of $1.8 billion. Where's the rest of the numbers? I mean, I want more details on this, so 
I don't like seeing that. I have never in my 40 years seen a balance sheet this short. Um, I, you might have to go to the 10Q, 10K. Yeah, to, to actually, yeah. And I'm not sure why our, our company here is not showing more to that. But if I could not get more information on that, I would say I would not buy this company because it's like, what are we missing here? You don't know. So Yeah. yeah. And I, I did want to address one of your questions there too, Jim. I, while this is an investment company, not a REIT, you did ask about the REIT payout yep. ratio and so forth is REITs are required to pay out 90% of the earnings that they have. That's one of their requirements. But one thing is the payout ratio is going to look quite strange on REITs because they have a lot of depreciation, which is a non-cash expense. So sometimes their payout ratio is going to be like 110%. And you're like, how are they paying that out? Well, it's because yeah. so much is going to be based off depreciation. So that's one thing with REITs that you have to be very cognizant of is, oh, I'm not going to buy it because the payout ratio is too high. Well, that's when maybe you want to take a closer look at the cash flow to see if that is sustainable. Yeah. So so you got to look at them differently. I, I just don't feel comfortable with uh, Main Street Capital. I know there some things there. I, and again, I think you kind of like the 6.5% dividend. Is that what you're kind of seeing there, Jim? Uh, well, I like that too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just... Uh, I just don't feel good about it. I, 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 there's other ones out there right now. You can get, actually, we have a, a REIT in our portfolio that's paying, I think, a 7.8%, I think, yield. Uh, we feel much more comfortable with that uh, than we do with this here, especially on the asset management. Uh, who knows how they're doing it, what they're doing. There could be problems there as well. So um, not to bring up Lehman Brothers, but who knows uh, on that side. So I'd, I'd, be, I'd be careful here. All righty. Yeah, and by the way, great comments on the uh, strategic petroleum reserve. It's like, what the heck are you thinking? <laughs> thank you for that. You know? <laughs> Crazy. All right, Jim, thank you All for right, calling. gentlemen. Have a, have a wonderful day, and always a pleasure listening. Thanks. Yep. Bye. Good talking to you. Bye-bye. All right, that does open up the phone line, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's head up to Oceanside and speak with Carl. Carl, you're on the Smart Invest Show. Brent Chase, how can we help you? Yes, I'm looking for an equity that pays a decent dividend and maybe stock appreciation. So I looked at Williams, the gas line operator, uh, WMB. Okay. What can you tell me about it? Okay, and I think that's a good start right now when you say an oil and gas operator. Uh, the company, again, is William Company, uh, symbol WMB. They are in the oil and gas mainstream or midstream, it's actually called. Uh, we do see a float on that. On the short, only 1.8. Institutional ownership, 87.5. So that looks good to us. Uh, P.E. ratio, though, unfortunately, not a good start here, Carl. It's a 25.6, above the industry at 21.7. Uh, price of sales, 3.7 versus 1.2. Price to book value, 3.6 versus 2.3. And price of cash flow, 9.6 versus 7.6. So all the valuation ratios, unfortunately, are higher than the industry. Uh, but they do have a good peg ratio, which is your price earnings divided by the growth is only 3 versus 12.2. So that's a, a positive there. Now, look at their earnings over the last year. They are up 34.7% versus the industry down 18%. Uh, sales did climb by 20.5, uh, not as good as the uh, industry growth at 38.1. We do see a five-year earnings per share growth rate estimate by the analysts, 7.1 for Williams versus uh, 8.5, but I'm okay with that. That's pretty close. And they do pay a dividend of 5.2%, pretty attractive, but it does show they're paying 129% 
of their earnings to pay that out. Now that's over the last 12 months, so you might have a bad quarter still in there. I bet you if you look going forward, probably the payout ratio looks much better than that. And uh, on the balance sheet, we see a current ratio 0.7 versus 0.9. That's about the absolute bottom I'd want to go with on the current ratio. And I don't like the debt to equity at 2 versus 1.4. Net profit margin 14.6 versus 6.2. Return on equity 13.9 versus 10.2. I almost feel like maybe the stocks move up too much. Chase, what do you got on the stock numbers there for us? Yeah, of course, I'm going to make some comments here mm. on the numbers and then have a couple other side thoughts as well. But the uh, current price here for Williams Company is $32.77. 52-week high here, $37.97. And the 52-week low, $23.98. So year-to-date, it's about 30%, while the S&P is down now about 14%. Going forward for the business to December 2023, I see estimated earnings per share of $1.69 would give us a target sell price of $28.05, which is actually below the current price of $32.77. Yeah. Now, one thing that I want to point out is this company, what they actually do is they own and operate the Transco and Northwest Pipeline Systems and Associated Natural Gas Gathering, Processing, and Storage Units. One thing I've always wondered, and I have this discussion every time we pull up a pipeline company, is I don't know how they charge. Because to me, how does the price of oil impact them? Do they charge more when oil is high? Because they're not right. selling the oil, they're right. transporting the oil. Where, to me, I'm almost wondering, do they do better when oil prices aren't that good, but the volume of oil is much higher? Yeah, That's one thing that I really want to understand with these pipeline companies is, is how do they make their money? When is a good time for them? And if you're looking at, at I'm going to say, playing the price of oil and playing the price of gas, I don't think a pipeline is, is going to produce the best returns. And in fact, I talked about a 30% gain. You look at a lot of the, the oil producers, the gas producers, the refiners, they've done much better than the 30% gain that this company's seen. So I don't know. I Obviously, the target sell price is below the current price. I, right. I wouldn't be a buyer here. And also, too, and I know I did hear this past week because uh, Senator Manchin, uh, on his deal to get the Inflation Act, whatever it was called, on through, he was supposed to be promised a pipeline in his in what West Virginia. Well, I heard this week that uh, uh, other senators like uh, AOC and Bernie. Sanders, oh, no, no, we're not going to do that now. Could that hurt pipelines? Because finally something positive to maybe build a pipeline. Well, no, that's been gone out the window. So I like being in the energy. I don't think this is the, the one to be in, Carl. I mean, it's, it's just uh, unless we see some positive pipelines being built. And as Chase said, how do they make the money? Good, yeah. good point. So I, I'd say I, and there's other ones I think out there in the energy field. And again, it's I think it's pretty expensive now on the energy side. Um, I, I'd be looking elsewhere besides energy. I think it's almost too late to get energy now. So Yeah. All right. Okay. Thank you. All right, Carl. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. All righty. That does open the phone line. 833-288-0973. That's 833-288. 288-0973. All righty, let me look here because I got a little note here. Uh, okay, um, I think what he wants me to do, let's see. Well, is Harrison available? Is yeah, that? I think Yeah, I think that's what we're going to do. Okay, so, uh, so it's what, the 831, I think Harrison is available. So let's go to Harrison, our financial planner. Harrison, you there? No, I think... No. I think I got the reverse. I think I'm supposed to go to line one before I go to Harrison. No, no, no. No, was that right? 
I got I, I read the note here, but I'm getting it backwards. Well, let's let Frank work that out. Yeah, but you so, know, I'll kind of continue that yeah. discussion around the the oil and gas. Is you know, it, it, I I was going to disagree with you where he said I I wouldn't be a buyer here. We went mm-hmm. from being very pro energy stocks right. at the beginning of the year to then we had this huge appreciation of energy stocks. Well. I'm going to say some of the the love for the energy stocks has pulled back a little bit. I think there's some opportunities here. Now, you have to be very picky with it, but I I know we're looking at a a refining company in our portfolio, and and we went from buying it to holding it because it went up way too much, and and now, again, it's trickling around that that buy price. So I think there is opportunity in the energy space, but you have to understand a lot of them have gone up 50%, 60%. You're not going to go up 50, 60% on energy. You yeah, still yeah, want to find right. a good company, but you could still have, I think, come next year with the dividends from any of these companies, I think you could still have about a 10% return over the next year with the right energy company. Yeah, and, and 10% would not be bad, but you'd have to look at the target price because, again, we like to have that margin of error. We want to be at least 30% away from the target sell price, and uh, uh, I don't think that would be the case. But I was going to take a look at Exxon or Chevron, but I think we're ready to go to. So who are we going to here, Frank? Just go. It right, doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> we're good. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, let's let's go out to Chris uh, in Oceanside then. Okay, Chris, you're on this morning, best show, Brent Chase. Hey, good morning, guys. How you doing? Oh, good. Good. I enjoy your show every weekend. Thank you. Well, thank you. Um, I want to ask about Maersk. Uh, the big shipping company. I own it at twelve and a half, you know, twelve dollars fifty cents, and I've been adding to it when it drops below eleven. It's been in a range between low tens and thirteen, fourteen for as long as I've been watching it. Really high dividend and really cheap. Just wondering if okay. that dividend's going to hold. Okay, well, let's say I look at it. I'm kind of excited to look at this company. I've not heard of this company before. Um, it's A. P. Moeller Marisk. Marisk. Maersk? Yeah. Correct. Okay, symbol. Yeah, I, the correct. symbol looks like it's Russian. A M K B Y. Looks like a Russian name or something to me. Denmark it's actually listed. out of Copenhagen, I believe. Okay, there the we big go. Big international global shipping company. Okay, all right. Well, yeah, they're, they're in the industry of marine shipping. Uh, no float on it. Uh, institutional ownership only 0.1%, so that's a kind of a strange number there. Uh, we do see uh, PE ratio 1.5 versus 2.2. Price of sales, 0.5 versus 0.8. Uh, price to book value, 0.9 versus 0.4. And again, in the industry of marine shipping, this seems like a very inexpensive industry and company based on what we're paying for it. Price of cash flow, 1.3 versus 1.8, but there's no peg ratio, unfortunately. Now, we do see the earnings did climb by 221%. The whole industry was up 121% on their earnings. Uh, sales were up 59% versus 26.9, so that's good. Uh, the analysts do not have any five-year growth rate estimate on those earnings. Uh, and here's the dividend. Wow, 16.8%. The industry's at 147 uh, The company only uses 25.7% of the earnings to pay that out. Uh, we do see that the dividend change rate is 608% for one year. Five-year up 76%. Um, yeah, kind of strange numbers here on this. I'm going to try to take a look at some other numbers while Chase is looking at some things here. Back to the balance sheet, though. Current yeah, ratio- like it looks too cheap. Yes. <laughs> like yeah. Too and that's, cheap for the dividend. Right? Yes, and that's what I'm kind of looking at. That well, What are we missing here? And I'm almost thinking in the back of my mind, this could be just a special one, one-time one dividend payout where they had so much cash. It's maybe paid it out. That happens sometimes. But back to the balance sheet. Uh, I want to check that out for you. 2.4 on the current ratio versus 1.8. That's good. 
Debt to equity also looks good, 0.3 versus 0.7. Uh, net profit margin, 35.4 versus 36.1. Return on equity, 52.2 versus 55.9. Even return on capital is 40 versus 36. Uh, Chase, what do you got? Yeah, some uh, interesting things here, actually. I mean, the company was founded in 1904, so they've been doing shipping for quite a while, and it's actually been run by the, the Moeller Maersk family and they currently hold slightly more than 50% of the share capital. So mm-hmm. one thing is it, it can kind of change the stock a little bit more because there's mm-hmm. what I'm going to call less float out there that's true float because a lot of times they're not going to sell that position. And the other thing it can do sometimes is almost provide a floor. Like I know with like Nordstrom, for example, the family still owns a lot of Nordstrom stock. And when it gets too cheap, we're just going to take it private. Yeah. yeah. You know, if they kind of see that as an opportunity to say, you know what, this is just ridiculous. Sometimes it could be a good thing when the family still owns that amount of uh, the shares outstanding. Turn to the current price here, though, for uh, AMKBY in the, the Maersk shipping. It's $11.02. The Didi Week high, wow, $19.14, and the low, $10.68. Now, if we go out to December 2023, the estimate for earnings per share is $2.41. Would give us a target sell price of $40.01. So it looks very attractive there. But when I say the estimate, I truly mean the estimate because there's one analyst out there. (laughs) The other thing is for 2022, they're looking for earnings of $8.07. So the shipping, as we're kind of talking about, is they were able to charge the $20,000 for the uh, 40-foot container. Now that's coming down. And I think that $5,000 come next year, we could be back to maybe $3,000, $3,500. It could really hurt the margins for these shippers. So that's one thing you got to be careful of is I would look back at the history of how profitable these companies are year by year because you could have boom years where, again, they make $8 per share, but then a year where they maybe lose $2 per share in a more normalized shipping environment. So I don't understand that. And the other thing is on that dividend, I don't believe it's Maersk, but if there's another shipping company, what they started doing was they adjusted their dividend to a special payout ratio. So they would calculate their dividend each year mm-hmm. based off of their earnings. So it looked like their yield was just phenomenal. But again, if they go from earning, let's say, $8 a share down to $1 a share, well, your dividend is going to be cut okay. by about an eighth. And I did look at the cash flow statement for the dividend, and I show that in uh, two, well, trailing 12 months, they paid $6.9 billion in dividends. That compares the entire year of 2021 of $996 million. 2020, 431 million. So they de- definitely did a big one-time dividend. So do not look at that yield like, wow, I'm going to get uh, what I was up, 14, 24%, whatever the crazy number was. Uh, this will come back. And actually, you're right, that they could have all this based on those high container rates. Now it's coming down. So the past of this company looks pretty good here, uh, Chris, but uh, going forward, I think you'll see differences that maybe doesn't look so good. So got excited about it, but I'd have to say stay away because I think uh, their it's prime is over. It's just very cyclical is yeah. the problem. Yeah. All right. So if I, uh, I, own, I own it at 12 and a half, uh, you, you say don't add into it at these prices? I would probably be- Is that what I hear? I'd be, what was the target sell price on the one analyst? What was that? It was 40. 40. So but that's I think it's good. overly optimistic because yeah. I think come 2024, 2025, I think the earnings are going to drop substantially. I, I don't think we're going to have the same- situation of us i don't think we're going to spike back to twenty thousand dollar shipping container rate yeah and we talked about too in 2023 2024 more coming online for shipping so you want less supply 
to keep the prices high. And there's more supply coming on the shipping side. So I, I would have to be saying even that one analyst is pretty optimistic about it. I, I, I just don't like the industry because, again, the rates went from 20000 on a 5000 on shipping, and that's that's got to hurt them. So I would... I would not add to it. I'm, I might even consider selling it. I don't know if you're up or down, but um, I, I'd be concerned over the next couple of years with this company. All righty. Right, thanks to the analysts. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Have a good one, Chris. Bye-bye. All righty. That does open the phone line, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. And one thing I was going to say on that, too, I, I, after I let Chris go, I thought of it is that there still could be some movement upward in the stock because yeah. you and I are looking forward. There could be a lot of investors still like, oh, wow, this is great, and they start piling into it. And then in 2023, like, oh, what happened? Yeah. You know, so, so there may be a little more up upside movement on this stock, but it's more of a gamble than based on well, it, you know, good numbers. I just don't like industries like this that are just extremely, extremely cyclical mm -hmm. because it's hard because the numbers can look so good on a target sell price based off the earnings, but all of a sudden it can go from being, you know, again, $8 to maybe it's 10 cents. And all of a sudden your target sell price goes from this huge astronomical number to something that's below the current price. Right. And when things are that cyclical, it's really hard to analyze and evaluate. So you just got to be really careful. Personally, I don't like industries like that. Yeah. And the other thing too, is this company a global company? Because um, you know, we, we do know the, the, the global economy seems to be slowing down as well. So that would mean less shipping on that also. So, um, yeah, just too many things that kind of question on that, that I would not feel comfortable with. You want something more positive. All righty. Uh, what, what is, oh yeah, yeah. So Harrison is there. So let's go to our financial planner, Harrison Johnson. Good morning, Harrison. How are you doing this morning? Good morning, guys. I'm doing well. How are you doing? Doing great. Now, I, I like this one, the little known feature of health savings accounts. What are you talking about here? So a health savings account is an account used for medical expenses. Um, when you contribute to an account, you get a federal, state, and Social Security and Medicare tax deduction, unlike a 401k or an IRA that is just a federal and state tax deduction. Um, so the benefit that you also get Social Security and Medicare tax deduction is, you know, it's quite a bit of savings. It adds up to 7.65% um, reduction on your taxable income. So that's that's really helpful. Um, unfortunately, California does not allow the state deduction on their side. California and New Jersey are the only two states in the country that don't allow it. But if you're a listener that's not in California, you get the extra benefit that your state also allows um, that deduction. Once you contribute to an HSA account, the money can be invested and it can grow over time. And then when you withdraw money, um, you can withdraw tax-free like a Roth IRA as long as you use the withdrawals for medical expenses. So you get the best of both worlds in that you get pre-tax contributions and tax-free withdrawals. There's no other account that offers both of those um, at the same time. So, again, it's used for medical expenses, which the allowable medical expenses are pretty broad. Um, even things like ibuprofen or over-the-counter cold medicine is a qualified medical expense that you can withdraw um, an HSA tax-free for. The key is, though, that I wanted to talk about is <clears throat> there's no time limit between the time you have the expense and when you reimburse yourself from your HSA. So, for example, you could spend money on any qualified medical expense, let's say $5,000 on something, and then 10 years later, you could withdraw that $5,000 to reimburse yourself from your HSA for that expense. So meanwhile, throughout that 10-year period, 
your money is still in the HSA growing tax-free. So it's important to keep track of all of your qualified medical expenses, especially the larger ones that you pay out of pocket for, and try to pay out of pocket whenever possible. So that way you can, um, your HSA money can keep growing and you can withdraw tax-free really at any time you want in the future. So Harrison, there's no limit on the amount that you can take out if you had the expenses there. So you said you can wait 10 years to take it out. Could you say, well, okay, over 10 years, I've accumulated $30,000 in expenses. You can do it all in one year. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, 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 you could wait 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, however long, as long as you have proof that at one time you had those medical expenses while you also had the HSA, then yeah, you can withdraw them at any time. So maybe, you know, throughout your life as you're contributing to your account while you're working, you save up all of your expenses and then you get into retirement and you have um, this huge bank, so to speak, of medical expenses. Well, now you can just kind of withdraw as you want from your HSA over time and it's, it's all tax free because it's technically just a reimbursement for the medical expenses that you already incurred. I'm going to challenge you a little bit here, Harrison. <laughs> Has all there right. been any talk, like, because they've talked about taxing Roth IRAs. One thing that concerns me is the government in 15 years says, yeah, we know we said you could do that, but no, sorry, past expenses <laughs> won't qualify. <laughs> is that been so, any, is there any yeah, potential concern there? Good question. So whenever the IRS is looking at doing something like that, they're always trying to make additional money. And most people with these types of accounts just contribute and then withdraw throughout the year. So they're not really getting the full benefit of the account and they're missing out on all that tax-free compounding. So there has been no talk about any change like that because so little people actually know about this and, and benefit from it, where if the IRS said, yeah, we're going to take that away, well, it really wouldn't do that much in the way of um, increased tax savings for them. And another thing about HSAs is um, when you are a owner of an HSA and then you die and your beneficiary is a, a non-spouse, so like a child or, or something like that, then the HSA has to be fully depleted. So unlike an IRA where you can you know, deplete the money over um, 10 years, all the money has to come out in one year. So there are some things you have to watch out for, but to your point, Chase, um, there hasn't been any talk, and I would feel pretty confident that there's probably not going to be any change to that provision just because, you know, okay, well, the, the IRS comes out, oh, yeah, we're going to make this change, and it's going to add another uh, $10 million of revenue over the next 10 years. I mean, it's just, it's so little that it, it wouldn't make sense to even, you know, change it at all. Yeah, because I guess yeah. it's, it's a lot smaller than the Roth IRA pot of money, and, and yep. the other thing, too, is I think they wouldn't change it like they can't change it immediately. So let's say they change it in 2029. They say this is going to be, right. I'm sure you could probably just say, fine, you want to change it next year? I'll just take out all my, my accumulative expenses now. And that's what I was going to say. Yeah. It's yeah. not as big of, big of an amount. So therefore, they're probably not looking at that. And I always thought it was a shame when George Bush came out with this, like, wow, this is a great thing. I really believe that had they pushed this more, it would have brought down healthcare costs because if you give somebody an incentive, like, okay, instead of paying these high costs for that and paying everything, no, you get to save your money tax-free. I don't think it was marketed very well because, you know, people are like, oh, no, I don't want that. I don't want to save the money. I, I just want my insurance company to pay for everything. Uh, what a shame this did not go through. And, the, and I feel this should have been much bigger. I don't know what the numbers are in it. I still think the HSA plan is such a great deal to save money and keep your expenses low and uh, disappointed that that did not go as farther as I, or as far as I would like it to have gone. So I'll put it that way. So. 
But. Yeah, again, most people most people don't really know about them at all or use them, and then even fewer people, you know, contribute money and then invest that money to, to grow for the future. So, yeah, it's 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 not very widely adopted at all. Yeah, I don't think it was presented very well, and, and unfortunately the average American just thought, no, I don't want to pay for my own expenses. No, I, I want the insurance yeah. going to pay for it, and therefore they'd rather spend $1,000 in insurance premium than pay less on the premium pay a little bit more themselves, but be able to put away in a tax-free account, but maybe too complex for the average person, maybe. <laughs> Harrison, thank you very much. Uh, these are one one of the things, again, you look at financial planning, something to help people out that is not the norm uh, of a financial planner. Just like, oh, buy some mutual funds, and uh, here's your financial plan. <laughs> so, All right, guys. Well, uh, we'll see you in about an hour, I guess. That's right, yeah, because you'll be at the client event, so we'll see you then. All righty. Bye-bye. All right. See you guys soon. Bye-bye. All right. That is our financial planner, Harrison Johnson. If you want a free consultation with him, again, you've heard the in-depth uh, things he goes into in financial planning. Uh, I talked to him the other day like, gosh, you know, you're with that guy for a long time. He goes, yeah, the first consultation is about two hours many times to really understand what you're doing and more about you. You want to find out more about him, go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. You can send them an email there. Or you can call them at the office directly at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. And uh, talk to him for that free consultation. Alrighty, phone number's here, 833-288-0973. Let's go out to San Diego and speak with Derek. Derek, you're on the Smart Vessel, Brent Chase. How can we help you out? Hey guys, uh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, so last week, Monday, I was debating, uh, I'm buying a hundred shares of Nvidia and I decided I ended up selling a two week, uh, you know, one contract of a put that expires this next Friday. And as you might've seen, it's, it's gone up. So my, my puts looking all right. If it expires out of the money, I am debating, okay, do I, do I buy it on its way up or, you know, is, is it going to be doomed to come back down if next next week's news, uh, you know, changes? So just kind of wondering what you look at fundamentally for them. Okay, well, I'm not looking at NVIDIA for quite a while, so let's take a look at the numbers and talk more about it. I know I've got some comments on that. I'm sure Chase does as well. Coming in, NVIDIA, symbol NVDA, only 1.4% short, so that's a positive. Only 66% uh, institutional held, which is... I thought it kind of low for that company. Uh, we do see a high P-E ratio, though, 47 versus 16.7. Price of sales also expensive, 12.3 versus 4.1. Price of tangible book value, 20.5. That is better than the industry at over 100. And then price of cash flow, 48 versus 12. Pay ratio does look good, though, at this point, 1.2 versus 3.9. Now, over the last year, the earnings have risen by 9.5%, but the industry is up 45%. Uh, sales did climb by 35.8%, which is better than the industry at 14.1. I do see a five-year earnings per share growth estimate of 22.8 above the industry at 15.9. They do pay a small dividend here. Uh, the yield is 0.1%. They use 5.2% of their earnings to pay that out. Not sure why they even bother with a 0.1% dividend. It's a, what, 16 cents per share. <laughs> Uh, we do see that uh, on the balance sheet, they got a current ratio 3.6 versus 2.7. That's a positive debt to equity 0.5 versus 0.6, also looking good. Net profit margin checks in at 26% above the industry at 25 and return on equity very good, 32.5 
versus 27.2. Chase? Yeah, so current price here for NVIDIA, $143.87. Wow, 52-week high now, $346.47. So definitely pulled back substantially. And the low, $132.70. If I go forward to uh, January 2024, they report on a fiscal basis. The estimated earnings per share lost $4.62. That would give us a target sell price of $76.69. So still about half what the current price is and and what i look at with nvidia is it's a great company they've really i think i'm going to say disrupted the chip industry they've done a great job providing um you know their their components and their their products there but my concern is is they became the most valuable chip company with a fraction of the sales a fraction of the earnings i look back at intel qualcomm back in 2000 those stocks still have not returned to those levels I worry that the same could be true with NVIDIA come 20 years down the line where it's not going to even hit where it was at. People pulled forward so much of the expectation on NVIDIA and their growth rates are still pretty strong on the the earnings basis. But I just I think that to trade at these lofty valuations, they're going to have to make those growth estimates really come true. And it's going to be a tough task. And if it doesn't occur, you see NVIDIA come 2040 at Two hundred fifty dollars a share, and also too a couple of things I noticed. Uh, one, the earnings per share uh, ninety days ago six seventy five, now six twenty six. So it's come down from there. The other thing too, and I, I don't think we posted this week. We had a lot of posts to do. I think it'll be out next week about changes coming up in the cryptocurrency world. Mm-hmm. I, I won't give away too much here, but it could really hurt uh, Nvidia uh, on the cryptocurrency because a lot of their chips are used for for that, and and the big mining is going to be changing perhaps. Uh, so there's some big things coming up in the cryptocurrency world that was really beneficial to NVIDIA that if they do change, uh, NVIDIA will be not doing as well on that. So it's not looking as bright for NVIDIA as it used to be. And again, very pricey company. So I, I'm not excited about the price of it. And also the news tells me, eh, there could be concerns for this company. Yeah, and you've done well on the put there, but I don't know if I'd be a accumulator of NVIDIA stock even yeah. at these levels. Yeah, so we'll say yeah. beep, beep, beep. That's very, uh, Go ahead. Well, Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I was gonna say just be careful there because I, I, I just don't see a lot of positive things. So this company has done very well over the past, but I do see some major storms coming up for, that, for them going forward. Yeah, a very interesting analysis there too. And as, as you've seen and know that it's, it's very attractive to go, oh my God, it's down to $143 from a 300 and some change. It's going to go back up. But like you just said, it could go up or it could go half of that to 74 or whatever the number was you threw out so uh you know i i appreciate the analysis and it's just uh never never hurts to have too much data so i appreciate it all right well derek thanks for calling you have a good one you too bye-bye, bye-bye. all right uh, let's uh, head up to south orange county and speak with keith keith you're on the smart vegetable brand chase how can we help you out Morning, Brad Chase. Morning. Um, uh, I held 500 shares. Actually, my wife and I both had considerable amount of shares in uh, HTA, Healthcare, Healthcare Trust of America. Okay. And they merged with a, uh, uh, symbol HR, which is Healthcare Realty Trust. And I'm I'm kind of interested about this merger because it looks like I we got screwed out of 50% of our shares. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, we in my case I had 500 shares. The last before it closed in July was $29.19, uh, and then when it reopened uh, as new the new symbol HR, um, 
according to our portfolio, we only have 250 shares. I, we, I went from 500 down to 250, even at a lower price. Do you know anything about that merger or guess on what was going on with those two companies? The, combined now, they're the largest healthcare care healthcare realty trust in the United States. Yeah, I, I don't have anything uh, in terms of the actual merger. I'm trying to pull something up here quickly, but sometimes what can happen is it could be a cash and stock merger, so you mm-hmm. you, you want to look closely at, at probably yeah. your, your statement to see what exactly happened because, you know, I'd compare the, the prior month statement and the next month statement because you could have had, I mean, it's weird you said the price was lower because sometimes, yeah, your share count could go down if the price is higher for the other company. But the other thing I'd want to understand is maybe you did get a little bit of extra cash from that merger. So just, I would say, really look into the um, merger details and and they can be found pretty easily online. I'm trying to do it quickly for you, but and you, you probably may have gotten. Don't remember? You probably got like a hundred-page booklet of what's going on <laughs> and so forth, and probably like just kind of put that aside. If you could find that, you should see more detail there. And sometimes, yeah, actually, remember, I, I'm kind yeah. of surprised because we didn't get any information. Really? We we have accounts with uh, Merrill, and in fact, we didn't even know about this this uh, merger going on. But they they did they did do a special HTA did a special one time. Um, Pre-split, I guess this is a reverse split. If we only got 250 for 500 shares, mm-hmm. um, about 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 $1,500 each. Yeah, I'm wondering if Merrill didn't get those out to you. Maybe they just like, ah, we won't send them out to people. We'll just take care of ourselves. Because uh, I, I know we had a, a client that has a 3M, and they were going through mm-hmm. something. She got the the, pa- the paperwork from from Schwab and so forth. So I'm kind of surprised that uh, it didn't get to you because they, they I'm I'm sure it's a requirement that they have to send it out to you. But yeah. they will send it out if it's held in, in street name in Merrill Lynch. It's their responsibility to get it out to you. Um, yeah. and, and you may want to call them to, yeah, because I, I see something yeah. here that you got that special cash dividend and a transaction exchange ratio of one to one based on HR's unaffected price of $30.26. So I see an exchange ratio of one to one. One to one. So yeah. generally, I mean, we had a spinoff earlier this year that occurred, and you know, we were able to call Schwab and talk to them and, and see more on the cost basis side. But there hopefully should be somebody that you can talk to at Merrill and say, what the heck happened with this, yeah. this transaction? And, and, yeah, yeah, and, I'll, I'll, I'll try that. But, yeah, we, we went from 500, or in my case, we went from 500 down to 250 shares. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah there, there, there's something else there, and you got to find out what the answer is. And, and we have two custodians at, a, at our firm, and one custodian was really on top of it. The other one was kind of lagging. Uh, not mm-hmm. saying that Merrill Lynch is lagging here, but, you know, yeah, give them a call and, and maybe talk to your broker to say, what happened here and where is the, okay. the details because uh, they're, they're out there. And I, I don't think you got ripped off. I just think you can't find where the other part is. And I think there was a weird adjustment <clears throat> with that special cash dividend. I think that adjusted your share count, just assuming it here. But, again, yeah, I, I'd call just to get a little bit more detail because you'd hate to get ripped off out of half your money. That, yeah. That's not something you want. <laughs> or, or it's possible that Merrill Lynch sent it to the wrong account or something. So never know. Give him a call. All right. There's a closing bell. Thank you for listening to the Smart Investing Show. It is for informational purposes only and should not be used as investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs, have other investment questions, please feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Or visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And for more daily educational information on investment tips, go to our Facebook page, Smart Investing with Brent Chase Wilsey. Thanks for listening to the Smart Investing Show. Have a great day. We'll talk more next week. So amazing.
music to think 